and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz podcast, a show for creatives to encourage and inspire through actionable legal, tax, money, and business topics. I'm Braden Drake, an author, lawyer, tax pro, and educator. If you are ready to get your legal and tax shit legit, you are in the right place. But before we fully dive in, here is a quick word from my sponsors. This episode is brought to you by my free training, The Three Legal and Tax Mistakes Made by New and Experienced Business Owners and How You Can Avoid Them. Here's the thing. There's a few key things we've all got to do to make sure we unfuck our biz. I've seen all the mistakes and I know how to help you get past them. So here's what I want you to do. Go to www.unfuckyourbiz.com, sign up for the free training, watch it, and do at least one of the homework assignments I share in the masterclass. Promise? Okay, now let's dive into the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz podcast. As always, this is your host, Brayden, and today I am joined yet again by one of our favorite repeat guests, Parker Stevenson, who is a partner and the chief business officer at Evolve Finance. Parker, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Brayden. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for coming. So we are recording this podcast back in November, but I'm assuming flash forward to January. Is this a pretty busy season for you and your business? Yeah. December and January is kind of our go time for our entire team, uh, mainly for two reasons. We're, we're dealing with all the W-9s and 1099s for our clients. So that's part of our bookkeeping services. We do manage that. And then also our account manager team is getting files ready to send off to our clients' accountants. So they have some extra emails to send out uh, this month to make sure that the accountants have everything they need by February 1st. So they have plenty of time to file their taxes. Nice. Okay. Well, hopefully like in the next month, you all get lots of rest and relaxation to gear up for that then. To remind uh, that, everyone. <laughs> that doesn't work when you're an entrepreneur, Brandon. It never, there oh, okay. is no rest no? and relaxation. Come on. Well, at least maybe like on Thanksgiving, which is like, you know, three days from now. <laughs> so to recap for everyone, we had Parker back on the uh, podcast in November for episodes 118 and 119. So if you're listening now, maybe hit pause and go back and listen to those. You'll get more of Parker's intro. But to recap real quick, your company is primarily or singularly focused on bookkeeping correct? Yes, correct. We are a, a, a dedicated bookkeeping firm, which means we manage all the data for our clients, right? All the financial data that's, that's moving in their business. We organize that so our clients can understand how much money do they have coming in, what are they spending their money on, and how much profit do we have left over? Love it. Okay. So for a little bit more context as we get started for all of my listeners, we did talk about this on the previous shows, but most of Parker's company's clients are six-figure, multi-six-figure, and seven-figure businesses. So as you're listening, keep that in mind. Uh, I always say that my goal for every business owner, if they so wish to do so, is to become a six-figure business. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, in 2020, 2021, that's not a ton of money. Um, if you want to have your business as a side hustle, even for the long term, that's totally fine. But our goal it's to give you information that's relevant to where you are now and information that will be relevant to where you're headed to be in short order. All right. How does that sound? Was that a good segue? That sounds good to me. 
Okay, killed it. All right. So when Parker and I sat down to do the pre-interview for this, I talked about, you know, maybe we'll do like a five tips to do your bookkeeping, like, you know, some of that bullshit. Like we all like those framework <laughs> kind of things, but everything just sounds really boring. Like we both know, neither one of us are delusional. We both know that not everyone loves to listen to podcasts about bookkeeping. So instead we're going to make it super practical. And I took about 10 questions from my Facebook group. And I put them um, all in my Asana and I'm going to run through them and just have you answer them all. Let's do it. Okay. So first question comes from Jennifer Cooper and Jennifer asks for my first year in business. Okay. First year in business and I have a profit loss. How much can I report as a loss? Will I get audited? And is there a limit? So we kind of talked, we kind of touched on this in the last episode, but we'll recap it now. Yeah. So let's just start off by saying, you don't get to decide what gets written off. Please, for the love of God, hire an accountant. That goes for everybody. And this is something I talk about a lot. And this is just tough love. Like, if you are starting a business, you have sunk costs right off the bat. And one of those sunk costs are, is just hiring an accountant so you don't do something that just makes you regret wanting, like, regret starting your business to begin with, right? So, yes, if you have business expenses, let's write them off your accountant should be approving all of them. And like we talked about in the other episode, yes, let's write off everything we possibly can that can be written off, but we also wanna make sure we're building a profitable business here. I just wanna to touch upon that again. The whole reason we're running these businesses is so that sure, we get to do get some tax deductions. There's a few things that are like kind of owner benefits. Maybe you're writing off your cell phone as an expense. Maybe you're writing off a portion of your rent. That's awesome. But if we're writing off so many things that we don't have any profit left over, we're not winning at business. I want everyone here to win at business. So let's find that balance of writing everything off that we can from a business expense standpoint. But let's also make sure we're actually trying to plan to put together a business that's going to have profit left over because that's the way you're going to get paid. And that's the way you're going to build your wealth. Okay. I, I love that. One of my personal mantras is it's okay for me to pay taxes. Cause that just means I have a profitable business. Yes. Thank you. I got you. All right. Next question comes from, it says robes. It might be Robert. I'm not sure, but it says robes Lamentane. And I have a feeling this might be um, Aaron Lamentane's father. If that's the case. Hello, Mr. Lamentane. Aaron is my um, best friend from law school. I think she invited her dad to the Facebook, group, <laughs> which I love. So he asked, as a small business owner in a two-person LLC, so we have a multi-member LLC, can I deduct the cost of my vehicle on my taxes? This is a very common question, and it's actually one that I'm a little iffy on myself. I think that we have to have an S-corp to do that, but I'll let you give the actual answer. Uh, I really, the accountant really needs to get involved in that conversation because I will say some of our clients' accounts are willing to let them write off an auto lease, but this is a situation where our tax code benefits the wealthy because if you're bit like so many of our clients are running online businesses and their businesses can be really profitable. And we have um, um, many a client who's making, who are making six figures in profit. And we have more than ever before making seven figures or, or more in profit. So would you have that much profit and your profitability is anywhere from 30 to 70% profit margin running your lease through your business? 
like it's a blip on the radar for their expenses. The IRS is still going to get plenty of, of tax dollars out of these businesses. So the, the accountant's not overly concerned about running a lease, even if it's an online business. And it might be a little a gray area whether or not they can really validate it. But when you're a small business, yes, there are accounts that'll write off your, your auto lease, but it's got it like it has to make sense for your business. So if you're running a wedding planning business and you are driving around and, and you are in your car a lot, then yeah, let's talk to your accountant and get that figured out. But it could be the writing off the mileage. It could be the writing off a portion of the actual lease every month. Like certain accounts want to do it in, in certain, in different ways, depending on your situation. So yes, it's totally possible that we could be writing off part of your car as, as an expense in the business, but don't just make that judgment call yourself. Remember what I said in the last question I just answered, get an accountant involved and get them to answer questions for you. So you're getting an advisor, giving you proper tax advice, not stuff you're looking up on the internet. Beautiful. Cause I always like, I personally always tend to take a pretty conservative tax approach. And my understanding is like when you do the mileage deduction or you're doing an actual expense method deduction for your vehicle, mm -hmm. it's all about what portion are you actually using this? So my understanding was like, generally it's only okay to lease the vehicle under the company name and 100% deducted. If you're buying like a flowery delivery plan mm -hmm. for your floral business, but We'll kind of chalk that one up to talk to your accountant. But also, I do like to warn people that some accountants are very conservative and some are very, very aggressive. And if your accountant seems very aggressive, then maybe get a second opinion. <laughs> Well, and even, and even if they're really conservative, and this is something we talk about all the time, and it's something in the digital portion of our, we have a kind of an online learning portal for our clients. And so when they're kind of wondering what they should be looking for with an accountant, it is important to kind of get a sense, like, is my accountant somewhere in the middle of the road? Or like you said, are they super aggressive? Or are they super conservative? And are you okay with that? Because for me, like, I'm going to probably be a little more conservative because I've seen nightmare stories. It's just what I've seen, you know, on the front lines of the finance world to go, yeah, I want someone who's going to be on the up and up and keep me out of trouble. I'm in a position where I don't really mind if I'm missing out on a, on a couple hundred bucks or a couple thousand dollars a year. Um, but if you're someone who's like, uh-uh, I don't want to pay anything in taxes. I want an accountant who's on board with that. That's fine. But you just need to make sure you're aligned with your accountant on, on sort of the aggressiveness of, of your tax strategy. And do you have, do you provide them with a question or two to ask their accountant to kind of, to kind of use as a barometer for whether accountant might fall on that spectrum? I don't, but I think that's a, that's a fair question. I think um, I'd probably just be straight up with the accountant and be like, Hey, like how hard do you go on this? Like, what's your outlook on maybe some of these expenses? Um, and, and, and at the end of the day, I think it's easier for your accountant to be a little more aggressive if they understand your business model. If they really understand what you're doing, they really understand the types of expenses you're running through your business and they feel like, hey, if you got audited, I could make a claim for this. Like I could, I could make a... Um, you know, I could make a push to be like, Hey, this is a legitimate business expense. So that's where it's like, I, it, maybe it's not so much about how aggressive or how conservative it is. They are. It's how much do they understand your business and how much are they going to actually pay attention to what's running through your business? Okay. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. All right. I like that one. Okay. So next question comes from Shanna Britt and Shanna asks, so she says, I'm starting a business as a live wedding artist. That sounds super cool. I'm traveling for weddings 30 weekends out of the year. Can I claim my spare car and its maintenance for my business? I only drive it for my wedding. So it's pretty related to our last question. 
Yeah. Again, that's, I mean, I'm not an accountant. I don't, I don't write anything <laughs> off there, but um, it sure sounds like it's business related. So I would just make sure that you explain that to the accountant as clearly as you can. Uh, Cause that's part of the responsibility. I think we have as business owners is like, if you think something's business related, Let's put that in front of your accountant and explain it in the best way possible. doesn't mean you're always going to be right because it's like, well, sometimes I need to go, get, I need to get groceries so I can eat so I can run my business because if I don't eat, I'll die and I can't run my business. Well, it's like, no, your accountant's going to call bullshit on that. Um, but, you know, if you have this car that's really only being ran for the business, talk to your accountant and see if they get approval. If they're good with it, then yeah, put it on your, uh, put it on as, as an expense. So, so question for, from the perspective of you doing the bookkeeping, how does like how do the conversations normally work between you the client and the accountant so do you like for i guess first question is do you run everything through quickbooks mm -hmm. we do quickbooks online for all of our clients accounts okay so if i have i'm like i have this spare car over here and just me as the client i'm like i'm going to deduct this i have all the expenses linked to my business bank account. So it's showing up on your end in the QuickBooks. Do you look at it and you maybe you're the one that says, I don't really know if we should be putting this in the PNL, like let's bring in your accountant or how does that work? So it's interesting. We, we kind of have um, a two prong approach to this. We have certain expenses that, that if we're kind of suspect on and we're not sure how they're business related, we would put it in a category called needs info. And that means the client's going to look at that. We send those transactions to the client and they have to explain to us what they are. Um, sometimes they're just expenses. We're not sure what they are, um, but sometimes our bookkeepers go, that might be pushing it here. I want the client to, to tell us what are you, what is this expense for and how are you looking at it being business related? So if the client tells us, and maybe for us, it's outside of our comfort zone, we might still just put it on the PL because ultimately it's not up to, we're not writing it off. The accountant is the one who has to make the final decision. And we're giving the accountant such clean, organized books that we have to assume the accountant's actually going to look at the PL, look at some of the transactions and go, cool, do I feel comfortable with this? But there is occasionally a transaction where the, the client will give us an answer and we go, yeah, we're not putting that on the PL until the accountant approves it. So we would put it under a category called ask my accountant that at the end of the year, when we send the books off to our clients, accountants, we'd go, Hey, accountant, just a heads up. There's a few transactions here that we've put some notes on that we want you to take a look at. Please talk to the client around um, whether or not you think this is going to be tax deductible or not, because um, there's so many different types of like, especially with online businesses, it's such a new business model. And there's so many kind of new things people are able to write off that I think are totally legitimate, but sometimes there's this gray area. And as bookkeepers, again, we're not the one, we didn't go get our CPA license, like pay the person who, who's making the big bucks to make those decisions and, and who's staying up to date with tax law to make sure they feel comfortable because your accountant is taking on some liability with the things they're allowing you to write off in your business. So there's definitely some things where like, okay, accountant, we want you to look at these specific transactions because we're not going to put it on the PL until you're totally comfortable with it. So knowing there's a mechanism to verify those transactions with the accountants, do you then advise your clients to basically say, if you're not totally sure, just go ahead and you know, get it into the QuickBooks account. So then we can look at it versus if you're paying it out of your personal account, like you never get your eyeballs on it. Is that how it works? Well, we don't have, uh, one of the things we do with our clients is there's no personal accounts with our clients. Right. We have every, everything separate. So if they're, if they're running something through a personal account that we can't see, then that's on the client. Cause we set a pretty clear expectation from the start 
Use your business accounts for business purposes. So if a client accidentally runs a business expense through their personal accounts, they're usually going to tell us, and then we're going to add it on, you know, add it to the books. But what inevitably is going to happen is that our, you know, when we send off our client's files to their accountants, they're going to sit down, the client and the accountant are going to have a conversation and go, okay, cool. The business stuff looks really good. What happened on the personal side? You know, you know, do you have kids? Do you have a mortgage? Like, do you have student loan? You know, all the other things that come into play there. So then that's where we're, again, hoping our clients have good accountants who are going to poke and prod, ask the right questions to making sure that we're getting the most out of the personal side, as well as getting the most out of the business side. Yeah. So I guess, so what I was more getting at is let's say someone's like, I have totally have no idea if I can deduct this iPad, but I want you and my accountant to be able to help, help to make that call. So rather than paying out of my personal account, knowing that you won't see the transaction, I'll mm. go ahead and pay through my business account. So Got then you it. can yeah, at least yeah. flag it as a question. Yeah. I mean, that's something where we, we tell our clients, if you think it's business related, run it through the business, we'll put it on the PL. And then your accountant can decide if he wants to, he or she wants to pull anything off the PL that they don't feel comfortable. Because again, it's like we're data experts as bookkeepers. We want to organize the data and set it up so the accountant can file the taxes. And so you as the business owner can understand the numbers. So again, that's the responsibility. If, you, if you're paying your accountant 500 bucks a year to file your taxes and they have 1,900 tax returns they have to get through and they're just going to briefly glance at your PL and be done. So be it. You get what you pay for, right? And if you get that right off, cool. Um, it's not our judgment call to be babysitting our clients' accountants to see if they're actually doing their, their job. So I would say, if you think it's business-related, put it on the PL, run it through the business account. Just know that your accountant's ultimately supposed to be the person that has the last, call, has the last say on if it is an expense or not. Okay, perfect. Love that. And if you don't think your accountant is doing a very diligent job doing all of that, like maybe find a new accountant or B, if you have a running list of things that you're like, I'm not really sure if you don't have a bookkeeper, make your own notes of that so you can discuss it with your accountant when you go to file your taxes. My yeah. Opinion. I mean, the more you and your accountant can be on the same page with what's going on in your business, the better. It is a beautiful thing to, to have that kind of relationship. Lovely. Okay. So Next, next question comes from M and M says, as a nutritionist, I recommend supplements and clients want to purchase them from me. I don't, I don't know if this is going to be a question that's up your alley, but we'll see. M says, I'm wondering how wholesale works. If I want to purchase and keep stock of certain products in my office and resell them, what do I need to do? So I don't fuck up my taxes. So I think if you want to get into the inventory, physical product game, know that it's going to complicate your financial situation pretty, pretty, it's going to be rough. Like it just, as soon as you get into inventory, sales tax, all that stuff, your tax, the tax situation changes, tracking your finances change. This is coming from someone, I was um, a product manager in the US for Adidas. I was selling $50 million a year in golf shoes. I can't imagine what our finance department, what a nightmare that was for our finance team, trying to keep track of that and deal with the tax implications. So um, if it's not going to be a big revenue generator for you, how can we keep this as easy? Can you maybe be an affiliate for a company where you get a royalty or you get an affiliate fee for every um, item that you sell? So you don't have to hold the inventory. You just send them to a link and then they, you know, your client to a link, they purchase from that link and then you get a, a cut because ultimately there's a very small chance you're going to be making very much money off of selling the actual um, physical products. You're going to be making your money from your actual nutritional service, charging for your expertise. So I would say, try to keep that as easy as possible. So you can stay focused on where your money's coming from, which is charging for your actual services themselves. 
Yeah. Ditto. Ditto. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Do you agree with that? Yeah, if because if you're doing if you're doing any kind of wholesale stuff, a like you definitely need to hire a bookkeeper, um, mm-hmm. and you need to find a bookkeeper who understands wholesale and inventory because some less experienced bookkeepers might not have that. And also, sales taxes are an utter and absolute bitch. Yeah, also, I would tell sure. people that a lot of the time affiliate marketing is more profitable anyway. So just do that until you're like ready to actually run a full on storefront, and then you know make the investments that you need. Well, and even what I would okay, I just I just want to throw something else out here. You know, they're paying you for your expertise as a nutritionist. You know, so if I'm charging enough for my services, I don't really give a crap if I'm making money off of selling them some supplements, right? Because I'm, I'm making the value for my service. So it's like, hey, here's the supplements I recommend. You go buy them. I honestly personally wouldn't even give a crap if I made any money off that because I would be charging. If I'm good at what I do, I'm going to make sure that I'm making my money off of that client where I'm not worried about making an extra 40 bucks off of supplements. Love it. Yeah, this, re- this reminds me. So my sister owns her own gym. She also does personal training and she's starting to get into online business. But cool. she's, a rep, she's a rep for First Form Fitness and she just has her own affiliate link, First Form Fitness.com forward slash stress if you all want to... <laughs> Oh, I want to go buy, <laughs> go buy some protein. I get, a, I get a, some benefits from this because she orders all my protein with all the affiliate credit she gets. But that's but, a, but that's easy. A, but that's yeah, easy. It's like a that's really, it's, it's a really easy way to do it because she then gets all of her protein for free. And if she wants, she can just like cash it out. She doesn't have to worry about collecting the money. Yeah, so. for sure. I think that makes total sense. Yes. Okay. So. Next question is going to be a lot easier. Kimberly Carmen asks, can I deduct the cost of my business coaches on my taxes? My oh, business coach. Are, we're working with business coaches, writing off business coaches, like, cause they're teaching business. It's just business coaches all over the place. Absolutely. There's, there's a category we called continuing education. And so under continuing education, we would have some subcategories. So if you write, you know, business books, like I have a small collection behind me, I guess no one's going to see this on the video, but you know, like, if I buy something on Amazon, I give my business partner a head up and go heads up and say, Hey, I use a business credit card because I bought a new book. And usually I'm buying it for him too anyway. So we both read the same thing. Um, a lot of the times our clients are paying for courses. Maybe they're in group coaching programs, masterminds. Maybe they paid for a ticket to go to a conference back when we actually could do things in front of other people in person, <laughs> um, you know, retreats, things like that. So, um, you know, our, our account, the accountants that work with our clients never have any issue with it. And it's a legitimate expense. It's like, you have to invest in your own education and your own development if you want your business to grow nice i like i like that i have one category just for education but i like that you like even subcategorize it that's awesome yeah we do it because sometimes our clients can go a little overboard in certain areas they they sometimes use continued education as a security blanket for thinking they're doing things in their business when actually they're just absorbing information and not executing in their businesses so we kind of want to be able to pinpoint like Let's go easy on the courses. Like, I think we got enough courses. Let's go and run your business now. Like, let's take yeah, what see, we this is, go at. This is the part of your service where you're going, really going above and beyond bookkeeping and almost into business coaching. Like, let's tone it down, Mary. Let's co- comment down on the education, yeah. actually get some shit done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that is the unique part about our services. We are providing a little more guidance. And um, I... I've never done any coaching programs or anything like that. Like I've never been trained as a coach. I just have a lot of experience looking at P&Ls. So I kind of call myself more as a business advisor because I feel like that feels better to me, but there's no question. Uh, We're definitely doing a lot of coaching because when you're looking at someone's numbers, 
I mean, Brady, I'm sure you've looked at enough um, tax returns and P&Ls in your lifetime that it tells you a lot about the business, more so than probably someone would tell you just on like in a conversation. It's like, yeah, you can tell me whatever you want about your business. When we look at the numbers, that's really going to tell me what's going on in your business, right? Yes. So I think the takeaway there is if you haven't already gotten a copy of Unfuck Your Biz, the book written by Braden Drake, go do that and you can deduct that on your tax return. All right, everyone. Boom. <laughs> Subtle plug. Okay. So <laughs> ne next question comes from, we actually have two questions. They're basically the same. First one from Bluebell, Bluebell Florals. The next one from Danielle Bacon. And it's what is the what is the write-off most creatives miss or don't take advantage of? The second question was what am I not writing off that I should be? So I know your niche isn't necessarily service-based creatives like mine is, but mm -hmm. in this whole universe we live in, maybe I'll reframe the question and say, what's a deduction that oftentimes you're kind of surprised that you're not seeing in someone's bookkeeping and you're notifying them that it's totally deductible? Well, I do think because in like your niche, Braden, that you serve, um, maybe continuing education isn't as common. I do think that's one where there's some confusion. Like people go, like, do I really get to write off this book or this course? So I think, you know, if you're spending money on developing your business skills, run it through the business. I think that's one a lot of like, um, again, uh, people who aren't as plugged into the online world, like our clients are, uh, might feel like, am I doing something wrong? It's like, no. Like when I was at Adidas, we had, you know, in our HR department, an entire executive coaching, you know, our, um, one or two executive coaches who were, you know, advising on books and going through programs and doing trainings and stuff like that. Like big corporations are spending money on training their employees and their executives. Just because you're the only person in your business doesn't mean you can't be doing trainings too. So I think that's an important one. But then even just like some of the, um, some of the kind of more owner benefit stuff I look at, like, are we, you know, are you letting your account know about your cell phone, about your internet, um, about your rent, about your utilities? Um, even like, although health insurance doesn't get written off through the business, are we making sure we're letting our client, you know, your account know that you're paying for health insurance yourself and like that's something that they can help deduct on your personal side of your, your tax return. So it's some of these like owner benefit things that, you know, as your business grows, it'll be easier for the business to cover the cash flow of that and just run them directly through the business. But if your business is small and you can't really afford to be running all those owner benefits through it, it's still important you're keeping track of those things so you can let your account know and make sure we're getting some of these owner benefit write-offs at the end of the year. Love it. All right. Good one. So our next question is really the inverse of those two prior questions. So this comes from Savannah Grace and Savannah asks, what's the most common thing people try to write off on their taxes that they probably should not be, that they're not allowed to be writing off? I got a, I got a couple in mind as well. Groceries is one. And I'd say, um, do people actually try to write off groceries? I've never seen that before. So it's interesting. We have kind of a sub niche of clients that maybe come from more of a spiritual, um, for lack of a better word, woo side of things. And so really talented marketers, really talented service providers are really good at what they do. Um, but they maybe don't have as much business background, maybe haven't had a whole lot of conversations with accountants. So they make a lot of assumptions. So that's kind of why I sometimes joke around about like, well, I need food to eat. And if I can't eat and I'm not feeding myself, then I can't run my, so they start to make these crazy jumps in logic to validate things that are just normal personal expenses. So, you know, just 
grow, you know, writing off groceries is one, like, just don't do it. Like there's never a re- the only time you can write off groceries. If you're literally paying for food for a live event, you're putting on, right. It's directly related to something you're doing with your clients. Otherwise, another one that pops up is a lot of times people want to write off like clothes. It's like, Oh, I'm going to go give this presentation. So I'm going to buy, you know, a whole brand new outfit. The tax code makes it pretty clear. There is some gray area there, I think, but ultimately like going out and buying a whole new wardrobe because you're like, I want to look nice for when I go to my events or whatever. It's like uh, the tax code is pretty clear. You can't be writing off your clothes and you can't be writing off your groceries. So I, I think that's where, again, having an accountant, you can have some conversations with to see like, hey, accountant, I think I can write these things off. Should I be running that through the business? To have those conversations initially, because as you start to learn and understand this, your judgment around what you should be running through your business just gets better and better. Yeah, I used to argue about that one a lot when I worked. So I don't think I ever shared this with you, but when I was getting my tax LLM, I worked part time at H and R Block during tax season, answering Oof. people's help chat questions while they were self filing their tax returns. And I had many arguments with people who wanted to deduct their clothing, all sorts of stuff. Also, a lot of people who would have like, uh, they would get like 1099Ks for sales like through eBay and stuff. And then they would Mm. want to argue with me when I told them they had to do a Schedule C. But generally, the rule that I always provided in that circumstance was you can only deduct clothing if you absolutely do not plan to, have not, and will not use that clothing in your personal life whatsoever. So... Like I had someone, I think I talked to someone who worked in like broadcasting or something. I was like, if you're going to buy the dress, keep it in your changing room, like at the studio Mm -hmm. and never wear it outside the building, then yeah, sure. But that's not the case for everyone else. Cause I work with a lot of wedding planners, photographers that want to deduct like the comfortable shoes that they're going to buy to wear to their weddings. It's a no. Yeah. And I'd say like the one caveat here that we've seen accountants start to understand a little more about, and I honestly think the tax code needs to be updated. If you're like a YouTuber, and you do fashion reviews and you go buy clothes specifically to wear and showcase and talk about on your YouTube channel. I think you're, as long as your accountant understands what a YouTuber is, I could see them making, (laughs) you know, making a justification for getting to write something like that off. But that's such an extreme and obvious case. If you're just, you just want to buy new clothes and write them off. And I think if we all checked our guts on that, we would know that we're trying to cheat the system on that. There's not really going to be a a valid reason for you to write off, you know, your new wardrobe. Yeah. I briefly had a client who was a fashion influencer on Instagram and had a lot of tax deductions for Louis Vuitton purchases. And I was like, all right, (laughs) let's talk about, let's talk about this. Yeah. And that's why I would not want to be the accountant trying to actually uh, put my name on that tax return and justify Louis Vuitton purchased as a business. Yeah. Well, I, I ended up finding out that a lot of them were actually giveaway prizes. So they were going oh, to perfect. other people. So it's like, great. And that works. That works. Okay. So next question, I don't have a name for this one. So apologies, whoever asked this question, but the question was best systems programs for bookkeeping. I'm currently using a mix of QuickBooks and Google Sheets and it's not pretty. (laughs) What are your thoughts? Uh, It's never pretty when the business owner is doing their own bookkeeping. That's just the truth. So I'd never give a good recommendation for this because um, if your business is small enough that you don't need bookkeeping software, just use a Google Sheet. That's what I recommend. If you're not ready to hire a bookkeeper, you you just can't justify the expense and you don't have that many transactions running through your business anyways, figure out a way to put together a spreadsheet where you track, you know, you, you, you track your total cash, you know, revenue brought in for the month, 
track what expenses went through. So you have something somewhat organized to give your accountant. If you're getting to the point where you have so many transactions running through your business that you just don't have the time or don't have the skill set to start doing it in QuickBooks, then we need to hire someone else because QuickBooks is not made for business owners. I know they try to position it like, oh yeah, it's like there's the um, small business version where you can do it yourself. You can still royally mess it up. And if your accountant is already busy and not looking over your work anyways, you could screw up your tax return and get yourself in a lot of trouble if you're not doing it right. So I really recommend either doing it in a spreadsheet yourself or biting the bullet, even if it's a cheap bookkeeper. A cheap bookkeeper who's not even that good is still likely going to be better than you. Unless you have a bookkeeping background, um, an accounting background, I just think you're taking a ton of risk doing your own bookkeeping and bookkeeping software as an entrepreneur. Love it. Yeah, I would. I also recommend Google Sheets or Excel Sheets when you're just starting out. Mm -hmm. If you're listening to this and you're brand new in business, you still like are making under a couple thousand dollars a month. Your business expenses are like five hundred dollars a month. Just use a spreadsheet. I have um, in my like starter course. I have a course called Legally Launched for brand new business owners. I provide a spreadsheet template to you all. So you can go to bradendrake.com forward slash Legally Launch for that. If you're ready to outsource your bookkeeping and you want to work for Parker. I'll make sure that I get all your information at the end of the episode. We'll put it in the show notes as well. And then you can always just like message me if you're kind of in the middle and don't know what to do. We'll get you whipped into shape. Okay. Next question comes from Kayla Loriano. And Kayla has a simple but vague question. She asks, what's the easiest way to keep it all organized throughout the year? And to give you a little bit more guidance, I'm going to narrow Kayla's question in and say, Let's pretend like Kayla's just asking about receipts since we just talked about bookkeeping. Mm -hmm. Well, I think number one, having some sort of monthly processes is important. Waiting until the end of the year to kind of organize everything is a nightmare. Like we hear people who, you know, come to us and they're like, I just can't do another year of going through, excuse me, all my bank statements, all my credit card statements, you know, and just trying to piece all that data together themselves at the very end of the year. So I'd say, how can we build some monthly habits, whether you're using Braden spreadsheet to do your own bookkeeping uh, in, you know, yourself, but then in terms of receipts, again, for our clients, so much of their business is happening online that they're going to have online receipts for everything. So let's make sure we have maybe a folder, you know, in your email, you know, some sort of folder in your email client so that as you make purchases and you get digital receipts for it, that we're saving those digital receipts in your email client. Otherwise, if you're actually going to like Staples or Targets or wherever and buying uh, actual physical, you know, supplies for your office or buying things for your clients, especially if you're a wedding planner or whatever it may be, then yeah, I mean, just a simple folder system is what we've told our clients in the past. Like have a folder for each month put those receipts in there. But I also would recommend you get an app for your phone where you can just take a picture of, a picture of them. I can't, there was one we used to recommend and I can't remember what, it, um, what it's called anymore because our clients just don't have as many physical receipts, but I'm sure there's probably 17 of them out there. Because if you can just take a picture of your receipt it uploads to the cloud and then you have a nice digital way to provide those receipts uh, to your bookkeeper or your accountant at the end of the year, that, that's probably a more ideal situation than having a bunch of manila folders in your office. Yeah, I know. Um, Shoeboxed is a really popular yes. app. Shoebox, that's the one. Yep. Yeah, there's that one. But then QuickBooks and Wave also have like their own functionality as well. So if you're already paying for a software, see if it does that. What I recommended for physical receipts, if you're not real tech savvy, is just to use an envelope and write the month December 2020 on the envelope. Stick your receipts in there, put them somewhere safe. Yeah, just and well, here, and here's, the, 
Yeah. And, and to make that easier, I mean, again, it, unless your accountant is in your town and you're going to go show up with all those receipts to them, um, get them digital, like get pictures of them, pay the little extra money to do, um, uh, shoebox or whatever it was that you said, was that what it is? Shoeboxed. Yeah. Yes. I think that's okay. That sounds right. Um, shoebox. And it's like, just get them digital. We live in a digital world. Like you can still hold on to them physically just to have them as backup if you need to reference, but like it's a digital world, people. Let, let's get it. Let's get it in the cloud. Let's get it on our computers and make it easy to, to pass that information along. Well, yeah, because I like ideally your bookkeeper is going to do your books through QuickBooks linked to your bank account or your Stripe account. Your accountant's yep. going to use that to do your tax return. So really, the receipts are just auto protection. So yes. ideally, you don't need to take them to your accountant. They're just you're they're like you're they're they are your just in case like backup material. So then, so let me ask you, Brayden. So what do you recommend? How many years of, of receipts and stuff like that do you recommend, you know, people hold on to? Like until the end, like until the end of time. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, like honest, like honestly, ideally for, for most of it. Yeah. For most of us, small businesses, we're going to have so few, they take up no space. I would tell people yeah. to keep them up to 10 years because I think that's the statute of limitation for mm, audits. Okay. Um, and then for like my dad, my dad's a general contractor, right? He builds houses, he does roofing and he does like, he's at the lumber store like twice a day. He's got so many paper receipts. If you're in that kind of a business, you just need to have filing cabinets and stay super yep. organized. Yep. I mean, I think my stepmom now digitizes that all for him, but like, who knows? He's been audited several times. I don't even know at this point. Hasn't every contractor been audited several times? Probably. You know, I should have my dad come on the podcast and talk about being audited. That would be a shit show that might be worth entertainment. <laughs> I, don't... I would listen to that one for sure. Yeah, he's like, he's like, you know, the like country beer drinking Indiana contractor man that like fits all of our stereotypes, but it would be fun. He's a good time. All right. Next question comes from, um, we already answered that one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip that one. Okay, I'm editing as I go. The next one comes from Francisca. We've kind of answered this as well, but we just have two more. So these will be very short wrap-up questions. Fran Francisca asks, first thing, what's the first thing a small business should do for taxes if they're on a very limited budget? I have my answer. I'll let you give yours first. Find a damn accountant. Like it's really what it comes down to. Like, don't be using, uh, what is it? TurboTax or like, I think if you're, if you really want the responsibility of even having a side hustle, do it right. Don't regret starting your business. Get an accountant to file, like know that you have to at least make 500 to a thousand dollars for the year to cover the cost of your accountant at the end of the year. So you can file your taxes properly. Otherwise the best place to start is again, download Braden's spreadsheet and start tracking what you're doing from the very beginning. Even if it's all expenses and you're not really bringing in a lot of income, that's still gonna help your tax situation to have your accountant be able to take your expenses and help to lower your tax liability, especially if you're, you, um, you're, uh, you're married and you have a spouse who has income that we can write that off towards. You know, it's like, just, just pay attention to your numbers from the start, pay attention to those transactions. And, and again, get develop some sort of day in the month where you know, okay, the 30th of every month, I blocked off a couple hours on my calendar to just go through my bank statements and fill out my spreadsheet and, and have this ready for my accountant at the end of the year. Beautiful. And I talked about several episodes back. So we are actually, I didn't mention this at, in the intro, but we're doing a money series. So we're talking all about money in December and January. I did an episode all about cash flow management. I quote unquote, run my cash flow on the 10th and 25th of each month. And I do my bookkeeping on those same days. 
It's like a half an hour process altogether. Um, so just figure out what your own system is going to be and then pay someone to do your damn taxes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Next question comes from Samantha, which Samantha Bradshaw, Brad, Bradshaw, Jesus. So this is our last question kind of segues here. She asks, is it better to do bookkeeping in-house or to outsource? We really already answered that. So I'm going to change. I've been doing this a lot. I'm going to change Samantha's question and instead ask you, at what point in time should you look to outsource your bookkeeping? And once you are ready to outsource, what should you look for with regard to whom you're going to hire? Well, let's, let's answer the core of that question first, because I, I think everyone is going to have to outsource. In the, you know, well, Everyone's insourcing in the beginning by doing it in a spreadsheet or whatever we need to do to just track something when our businesses are small. Um, but almost everyone's going to in inevitably outsource at some point. Like we need someone who's a bookkeeping expert to do this. The only caveat would be is if you're building, again, if you're building a super heavy manufacturing inventory based business, it might be more cost effective to hire a full-time bookkeeper in your business than outsource it to an agency or a firm that's going to charge you like twice to three times the amount of money. But assuming the small businesses we're all working with to get it outsourced to somebody, even if it's like bench.co, which I think is like very mediocre bookkeeping. Um, but it's perfect for small businesses. Like as your business grows, I would hope you would outgrow bench.co, but go, you know, it's 120 bucks. What's my time worth? If they can get, if, if for 120 bucks, they can do it, do something that's going to take me four hours to do and to do poorly. And in that four hours, I can make 600 bucks. Yeah. Let's spend the 120 bucks. So I think when you get to a point, like I said earlier, where the spreadsheet, you don't have the time to do the spreadsheet yourself. It's too cumbersome because there's too many transactions and hopefully there's too many transactions because you're making more money. Then that's the point where we need to get somebody involved, whether it's bench, whether it's a local bookkeeper, whether it's an online digital bookkeeper, just a freelancer, let's get someone involved and, and just do some interviewing, like talk to multiple book. Don't just hire the first bookkeeper you find. Cause you go, Oh, you're a bookkeeper. Cool. You're all the same. Treat it like anyone else in your business, find someone who, you know, you feel like understands your business model, has experience with your business model and, and has some sort of processes for doing this on a regular basis for you. So you're not hounding them and wondering if they're actually getting the work done. They're, they're, you know, being proactive and giving you your books every single month around the same time. So first of all, I'm, I'm an affiliate for bench. I'm a big fan for certain individuals. So bradendrake.com forward slash bench. Go check it out. <laughs> if you're not sure, if you check them out and you're not sure if they're right for you, post in my Facebook group. We can talk about it. But you are right that even I get money from people who sign up through my bench link. And I even tell people that it's not going to be right for everyone and that a lot of people will grow out of it. So with that in mind, we're going to assume that some people are ready to hire a one-on-one -on -one bookkeeper. Could you tell us maybe like some red flags to look for when people are talking to bookkeepers? Yeah, I think if anyone's like still using QuickBooks desktop, that's kind of a red flag for me because it means they probably haven't gotten into the modern age of, of business and might not understand modern, you know, online businesses. And so I would say, you know, talk to the bookkeeper, ask them if they have experience with your business. If, if it's like, yeah, I usually do auto shops. That's probably not the bookkeeper you want to be working with. They're probably really good if you have, if you're a mechanic and you own your own mechanic business, but otherwise it's like, you want to get a sense for like, is there an expectation set on when are you going to get your books done every month? Are they going to give you financial reporting? Um, and again, do they have experience with the type of business that you're, you're working with? Is it just them 
or do they have other people supporting them? It's okay if it's just them, but if it's just them, then how many clients are they serving, right? There's these questions that you want to get a sense for like, how reliable are you going to be? Like, are you going to be able to answer my emails? Like how, how quickly should I assume I get a response from you if I reach out with a question? So these are the kinds of things where you, you want to get a sense for like, how much are you interacting with them? How much do they understand your business model? And how much are they going to actually proactively deliver the service without you hounding them? And that's why something like bench.co could be a good option because they have systems, they have processes. They're, they're going to get the stuff to you because they're a professional organization. So if you're going with a smaller mom and pop types deal or a freelancer, then we do have to ask some of these questions and get a good sense. Because then if the bookkeeper is dropping the ball, you can say, hey, you said you were gonna do X, Y, and Z and you're not, bye. And you can yeah, leave without I, feeling guilty about that. I usually tell people that Bench is a, bench is a good solution when you just, like your QuickBooks account is really fucked up and you need someone else to do it for you, but you're not really looking for anyone to actually talk to, to give you strategic guidance, answer your questions and pick up a phone for you. So in that case, it's time to hire someone, especially, you know, if you need some like actual help tracking down payments, classifying expenses. Yeah. And I'd say, I don't know if it's real, like most bookkeepers, it's just like, are they actually reconciling the data right to begin with? That's like what we do is so special and kind of unique, like to get any sort of feedback is icing on the cake. And that's the way we look at our service. Most people are just looking for a bookkeeper. Are they going to do the work right? Are they going to do it on time? And are they going to give you reports you can actually trust, right? And I know that's a hard thing to know as a business owner, because you don't really know if they're doing it right. But that's why ask the questions. Do they seem a little weird about when they answer it? Does their answer seem wishy-washy? Do, do you feel like you get the sense that you want to hang up on that call right now because they're going to screw up your books and you just know they're not on the ball? Trust those instincts. But ultimately, you know, let's first focus on, do we feel confident this bookkeeper knows your business model and is actually going to deliver on the service properly every month? Love it. Okay, so my final question for you to wrap it up here is when is someone right in the ideal client to specifically come to Evolve Finance? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. This so is, for, this is your segue into pitching your services, if that wasn't super obvious. I, I think <laughs> I picked up on that and I appreciate the gentle handover. But, um, you know, ultimately at, at Evolve Finance, we do specialize in online businesses. So we do work with a lot of coaches. Co um, course creators, consultants, bloggers, um, people who are, are selling digital products, a lot of information-based uh, products. Uh, and we do work with some service providers, um, it, you know, based on the type of service they're providing and how they receive money from their clients um, is kind of the main factor. So if you're doing like heavy, heavy invoicing, all the like all day long at QuickBooks Online, we're probably not gonna be a good fit, but we've had some photographers, therapists, um, people of that nature, but we really specialize in online businesses, making six figures a year or more in revenue and, and working in US dollars. So we, we just can't work with um, businesses working in um, foreign currencies at this point, um, but that's really it. So if you're an online business making six figures, um, selling digital products or services, and you're doing it in US dollars, chances are you'll be a good fit. Awesome. And where should they go to connect with you or inquire about your services? Evolved finance.com that's evolved with an ed at the end evolved finance.com that's the best place to go our podcast is on there uh, we have a free workshop where we give away some like um, budget and forecast for your business personal budget um, for your um, for your personal finances as an entrepreneur so uh, we got some good stuff there and it'll explain a little more about who we work with and how our services work
All right. Beautiful. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. We went through a lot of questions. So I appreciate you taking the time to do that. I'm just impressed that your audience is so engaged that you got 10 questions related to bookkeeping from them. So you're doing something right, Braden. It sounds like you got a great audience. Oh, I got, I got about 70 of those questions. I just, I just picked a few. Whether people will sit through this whole episode is another question. <laughs> if, you made it, if you made it this far, why don't you post on your Instagram stories, give us both a tag, and we'll know that you're a trooper if you made it to the end. And I will give you a, a, a metaphorical gold star right on your forehead. Yeah, same. All right. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, let us know if, if you're loving it or hating it. Either way, all feedback is good feedback. That's all for today. And I'll be back in your podcast app on Tuesday. Have a good one. Hey there, before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.